0: Today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy. Whether you're new to making or looking to advance skills in a favorite hobby, Craftsy is the place to learn. With over 1,500 classes, there's something for everyone from knitting and sewing to baking and cooking, gardening, embroidery, quilting, and more. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a full year of Craftsy premium membership for just $3. That's 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 225 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about kits and craft books with my guest, Cynthia Treen. Cynthia's charming felt animal designs are classics in the making with their own stories waiting to be imagined. Explore her thread follower kits and patterns or her new book, Wind in the Willows Felt Friends. Her passion for teaching and drafting comes through on every page with detailed instructions and illustrations perfect for guiding beginners and advanced makers alike. Time will slow down as you ramble through her projects, letting your imagination wander while stitching new adventures into life. For over 25 years, Cynthia has designed and taught makers everywhere, in front of and behind the camera, from Martha Stewart Living Magazine and TV to her first book, Last Minute Fabric Gifts, which was published in 2006 her line of thread follower hand-stitching kits, and finally, to a growing community of maker friends on Patreon. Cynthia's ability to organize, illustrate, and distill projects makes them approachable and inspiring to all experience levels, giving makers a feeling of success and mastery. Cynthia Treen, welcome. Hi, Abby. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. You have actually been on the show before, way back, in 2014. So for listeners who would like to go back and listen to that episode, you were a guest along with Allison Kaplan from Katagolda. Um, and that was a wonderful experience, but you've got lots of cool new things to celebrate and talk about. Um, so I'm excited to kind of dive in there. But I know listeners might be a little bit curious about who you are. So let's go back just to you know, where you grew up. Um, I know I've been to your studio in Rhode Island, um, and I live in Massachusetts, so you're not too far away. But where did you grow up and and kind of what were you like as a kid?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, um, I grew up in Merrimack, New Hampshire. And I, you know, I was a maker as far back as I can remember. Um, I, I was sewing as a really young, Child, I had a, I had a dollhouse. I mean, I guess not that much has changed, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've always loved creating. I've always loved making. Um, I felt like, I think I get into this flow state. I, I think I'm most happy when I'm when I'm creating things and and doing creative problem solving. And I think maybe that's why I like making designs and patterns for people so much, because I like to figure out all the, you know, all the bits, you know, and and try to make it really streamlined for them. And I feel like I've been doing that really my whole
0: life. Yeah. And so you, it sounds like you were always a maker. Did you know that you wanted to be an artist and how did your family feel about that?
1: That's a great question. I think sometimes parents aren't, um, you know, as thrilled with that idea as, as mine were. Um, I, I, I'm, I mean, I think many creative people are, um, I was, I am dyslexic and, um, and I think my folks saw that, you know, my greatest strengths as a child were my creativity. And so from my earliest age, my, my folks were very, very encouraging about, a you know, a creative path for me and, and really imagined, you know, you know, going to Rhode Island School of Design. And, and I ended up doing that. Um, So I I was very fortunate to have a really encouraging family. And, um, you know, and, and despite despite my dyslexic tendencies, I've, I've turned into a writer. So yeah, (laughs) writing patterns and books and so forth. Yeah. So it's uh, come full circle.
0: And what was um, what were your years like at RISD? Did you find that to be a good match for yourself? It was great.
1: I mean, I really loved the program. The, um, the foundation year was amazing. Um, and I went into industrial design and focused at the time on, on furniture making the, I only went two years because, um, at the time my, my dad had, had, um, had heart disease and and he had a pretty serious heart attack in my second year in the fall of my second year and so I wasn't really able to go back after that uh but I I felt like the two years I I went for two full years and I felt like I got such a good foundation to begin with and and I just started pursuing my own creative path after that and and really it was all I needed I, I never did finish um I realized I liked getting paid to learn, which, um, which was which was what I did at a lot of different creative businesses after that.
0: Okay, so where did you go to work? Um, You know, I'm sorry that your your father was sick at that time. And what, what, you know, what was your sort of first job uh, after that?
1: So I moved directly out to California, and I uh, started working for an architect there, and was building models and, doing drafting for him. And then, and then through him, uh, I was introduced to a clothing designer and she was wonderful. And, and I worked for her for quite a few years. Uh, Christina Kim, she, her business is Dosa Inc. Um, incredibly creative business. We made, we created fabric all over the world. Um, beautiful ecots. I learned about so much, so much gorgeous fabric there. And I did, I designed some of their housewares designs. And then, um, and then when I left Los Angeles, I moved to New York and through somebody I worked with at Dosa, I was able to get a job right away at Martha Stewart living. And so I've just been very, very lucky to, um, have worked with really great people who welcomed me to each each new, you know, each new job, I've never interviewed for anything, I've somehow just landed in wonderful places through wonderful people connections with wonderful people.
0: And those were high times for Martha Stewart. Um, People may not be aware, but the Martha Stewart Living Magazine is now gone, Um, which kind of blows my mind given how important I felt it was for so long. And how much it kind of shaped the aesthetic and like uh, there was multiple magazines. If you recall, there was a kid's magazine and they were wonderful. And you would save them um, and be so inspired by them. So, um, So what did you do at Martha Stewart and talk a little bit about what you learned from those years? Yeah, well, I started uh, at Martha by mail, the, the friend of mine that I worked with,
1: her name was Silka Stoddard and she was heading up a lot of the craft, uh, kit development for Martha by mail. And so I jumped right in and started doing, you know, production of things for photo shoots and some photo styling. And then eventually I worked together with her and we developed several kits. So there were actually, I did two different, um, stuffed animal kits oh. that were mohair uh, fabric. They were really, really lovely. It was fun to work with the mohair. Um, and I did uh, ha- some Halloween costume kits. I did, you know, a bunch of different, a bunch of different Martha by Mail kits. And then I bounced around. It was, it was very open ended working there uh, because I was a freelancer. And so I worked for the children's magazine. I worked for the weddings magazine. Um, I did some of the good things stories. Um, kind of all over the place. And then at some point along the way, I decided to move to the TV station. And so I I started commuting to Connecticut. And, and I, and I created a lot of the craft development for the show for several years and was a guest on the show. Um, Martha really likes to have a sidekick. It's, it's hard to do, you know, talking to the camera and, you know, be solo and, have a lot of energy all day, and so she had more fun if I was a guest with her, and um, and so I did that um, also. So um, it was very the job there was varied and interesting and always changing.
0: Yeah, what an incredible opportunity! And I remember maybe watching a video, but certainly hearing stories about the craft closet. Right. Was there like an incredible closet? Well,
1: the cra- oh, yeah, there was the craft department, which is where I worked, which was you know, I mean, we had we had large work tables and then just shelves and shelves of of bins with projects and materials and and all sorts of things. Um, so maybe that's what you. Maybe that's what. Maybe. You yeah, I don't yeah. know.
0: I don't know. But okay, so that sounds like <laughs> very fun and interesting to do, and. It started you on the path, maybe, or planted the seed of creating these stuffed animal kits, which then went on to be your business. So, yeah. So what came after, Martha? Did you branch out on your own or why leave? Because that sounds like a fabulous experience. It
1: was. It was. You know, what? I left shortly after 9-11. I was in New York um, during 9-11. And... um, and it, it was such a transitional moment, I think, for the city and for everyone there. And and I I think at that point, having been, you know, combined a little over ten years in Los Angeles and New York, I felt like I felt like I needed a change. And it was also you know, I was sort of there for the heyday of of, of Martha's you know, of of Martha Martha Stewart living, but, um, you know, everything kind of hit the fan just before I left. And so all of those things were sort of coming together at the same time. And, um, and it seemed like the right, the right move. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, did you, is that when you moved to Providence or what did you, what was, what, what did you move to doing? Yeah. So that's a good question. Right. So, um, so I moved
1: here. Really, with without a plan, um, but I had a, I had a bunch of friends that were here, um, several that were uh, old Martha Stewart transplants, you know, um, and so I, I moved into a, a pretty vibrant community of friends, which was great. And I freelanced for a while. I, I actually made custom wedding dresses. I uh, I did uh, custom bedding and, and embroidered quilts for private clients. I had my studio at the time in a really fantastic little shop um, in Providence called Cloth, and so the front part of the space was a was a retail shop that was all really really fantastic textiles, and then I had um, and a friend owned it, and then I had my studio in the back portion of that, and that was about the time that. Um, the book deal came through. And, and it was an old friend from Martha who recommended me to to Abrams or a division of Abrams to to Bori and Chang. And um, so then, so then I wrote my first book um, in 2005, I guess I was writing it, it came out in 2006.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk about that book. Um, because yeah. we're going to talk about your new book as well. And these two books are very different. I think the process of writing them has been really different. The purpose they've served for you and your brand is really different. And that is really fascinating to sort of stop and think about. So this first book was, correct me if I'm wrong, it's Last Minute Fabric Gifts. It was one of a series of books. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Uh,
1: The first in the series was Last Minute Knitted Gifts. Um, And... You know, I was contacted by Melanie fallock who was the the editor, the executive editor or acquisitions editor for the book. Um, and she had offered me to write whatever I wanted um, or to create a book that was part of this new series she was working on. And at the time, I think because she had contacted me, I I didn't have any book ideas necessarily in my head at the time. And I didn't have a business to back it up. So there wasn't an obvious choice. So, um, last minute knitted gifts had been very successful. And I thought, well, you know, there's, there's a template, you know, to work with and, um, and it felt, it felt like the right decision at the time.
0: Yeah. And Um, you had been working as a freelancer for another company, a big company that would give you like assignments, you know? And so in some way, I feel like maybe this was mentally like an extension of that, you know,
1: that's, I, you know, I've never really thought about it that way, but that's a really good way of describing it. And I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. It felt it felt like yes, I have parameters I can work within, and and it felt like the right decision at the time. And so, so I created all the projects for the book. I think there are about thirty projects in the book. Um, what I what I would say about it in retrospect was that I'm not a last minute person. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I really like – I like projects that are more involved. And to create, you know, a so-called last-minute project, you're very limited by the quality of of what you can make. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't make last-minute projects because, you know, birthdays and holidays and things are going to come up where you really w- want to create something and you don't have as much time as you anticipated – and all the projects in the book are fantastic for that, but for me personally, um, I don't think I feel very attached to those projects. They don't feel like me. They felt they felt like a template. Like I was working, you know, well, I was working on a on a freelance project. You right, know.
0: and and that's also by the way totally fine and there's all different kinds of ways to work right within the crafts industry um but that is the reality of that project
1: right right and I think you know additionally for th- that I would say about that project to um and not to um minimize any part of it, but I didn't have a business, you know, to back it up. And so when the book, when I completed the book and the book came out, you know, a huge part of writing a book is the post book process, you know, this sort of getting out there and talking about it and, and, and really, you know, speaking about it and doing workshops and doing, doing all these things that let people know about it. And, and because I didn't have a platform to do that. And really, you know, the internet was so different then too. There right. blogs were just starting out. Um, but publishers weren't doing any book tours. There was it was almost like there was no framework that I had, and there was no framework for the that the publisher had for me to really be involved in the promotion of the book.
0: Yeah. And
1: I've since learned that it did it did well in the, in the, in the craft world, but, um, but not so well that I ever made any, any more money from it. You know, I, I, at the time advances were quite high and, right. um, and so I made the advance and then, you know, never saw profit from it, which, um, which I think at the time left me feeling because I had no way of gauging w- how it did in relation to anything else. Um, I, I I think it left a, a feeling of like, oh, I didn't quite get it,
0: you know? <laughs> you know? Right. And um, at that time, I mean, yeah. in 2005 or whenever you signed this deal with um, STC, Abrams, you know, they were giving out advances of fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars 18000 for a craft book, which, and and maybe, maybe more, I don't know. But
1: that's more
0: like, say, say that again? I said more, in fact. More, in fact. Okay. So so that gives folks just an understanding, like, you know, we're talking 20,000, maybe even more, and Mm -hmm. that's just unheard of now. It's so interesting where there's multiple publishers who give no advance at all. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Craftsy. And here is a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you're new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills, we have classes for all maker levels and interests. From knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, paper crafts, and more, Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you can get a whole year of their premium membership for only $3. Visit CraftsyOffers.com to sign up and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. For only $3, you will get a full year of access to over 1,500 premium full-length classes. It can be challenging to know where to go to learn new things, especially when you're an absolute beginner. Craftsy's instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. If you're an experience maker and looking for new challenges and fresh projects, Craftsy is for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches, from eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their field. With over 1,500 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. Visit Craftsy offers today and get a year of Craftsy premium membership for just $3.00 that is 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at craftsyoffers.com. Thank you so much Craftsy and now back to my conversation with Cynthia.
1: Yes, yes there are. Yes. It's true and I and this has been a really this pr- project has been a really interesting uh adventure really. I I you know after the first book I I think I had a little PTSD about like how much work went into it and you know I, I I was no longer a novice, you know, and I knew what it was gonna take to put together another book. And so over the years I've had several publishers contact me, you know, with much lower advances and um and and I've never been enticed you know, again, to, to do another book, but it was, I guess it would have been not a year, year and a half ago now. Right. So it was like February or something. And, and a publisher got in contact with me and I have to say, I really loved the acquisitions editor there. I, in fact, two publishers contacted me within weeks of each other, both interested in having a book. Um, And both acquisitions editors were fantastic, but, and just really warm people, but I, but the advances were so low and that I just couldn't, couldn't accept them, but it got the ball rolling and it got me thinking, this is a really good time. You know, COVID, the time of COVID has been so strange for everyone in different ways, but it people were home and they were making and they were, they wanted projects and, and there was a lot more awareness, uh, of crafts, I think in an, in a more intense way than there had been in a long time. And it felt like the right moment to do this. And I had a business that could support, you know, a book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's so- talk about that business, which Uh, grew and flourished in the in-between time because as you said in 2006 when the first book came out it didn't exist and now thread follower is and I can attest to this because back when we recorded our first episode or sometime thereafter I went to visit your your space in Rhode Island and it's huge Cynthia (laughs) and um, I just so listeners understand right there's the, it, it's like Home Depot shelving in there with like kits upon kits upon kits and this is like a massive uh, production so uh, so let's trace the the origin of thread follower and how you built this incredible kit business
1: oh thank you yeah well uh, it definitely you know the idea really, came from my passion for what I had done for Martha Stewart. And I felt like I didn't for, for years I had been doing all these really elaborate projects, these wedding dresses and quilts and, and things that took months, sometimes years to create. And I got this, I got this energy from people when they looked at the things that I made. And a lot of people would say, I, you know, I can't sew on a button or I, I, I don't know how to sew. I wish I could. And, and I, I, And I felt like there was this slight, I don't know, like a little bit of sadness from people like this sort of like enjoying the beauty of it, but feeling this skill that they didn't have. And so I felt like I want to get people started from the ground up, you know? And so that was really what the kits grew out of. And, uh, and at first I, I imagined when I, when I say starting from the ground up, I really imagined that I was creating kits for a new generation for, children like aid and up who were just at that stage where they could begin to, you know, explore stitching as I did when I was a child. But what I learned over the years was that parents and grandparents and just people who like making wanted to make the animals. And so my, my designs shifted to be more beginner adult kits I do still have um, a collection of children's kits, but I haven't added too much to them in a while. Uh, I'm, although I probably will. But, um, but I found that people wanted to get together with a group of friends and a glass of wine and make something. I, I have had stories from people who, I just, I realized there was, there was a lot more going on for adults making crafts than I had understood. Um, I've gotten some incredibly touching stories about somebody who, whose family member had cancer and, and everyone worked together, the whole family worked together, making my kits, uh, for this family member in the hospital. And, and and the, the family member had since passed away, but the whole family had these things that they had made together. She, their, 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 their friend or family member loved making things, and it was just this really, you know, touching story. And I've, and I've had a lot of stories like that, and I just I realized that working with your hands and making and creating is is for everybody, you know, of every age. And even though these seem like little dolls, you know, um, they're, they're much more than that. You know, they're just, they're just joyful and lighthearted. And, and so the the, the business I, I, I digress here, but the but the business started to shift um, to really focus on, on that and how to create a special experience for the people who make them.
0: And is there one kit that's been a consistent bestseller? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, my, and
1: maybe it's just cause it was my first and my first sort of adult beginner kit, but the Felix Fox kit is sort of my classic. And, um, uh, but, but the, but as far as the level one kits, the, the penguin and the kangaroo are always a hit. So, uh, but, but you know, it's ever changing and they're all, they all do well, but I think sometimes he feels like my
0: ambassador. And talk a little bit about the production side of this because I'm remembering like there was a uh, maybe a contractor or something who is cutting all of the materials and assembling all of these kits because there's thousands of them.
1: Yeah. Well. So um, no, actually, there is no other person. I had I ha- I had I've always had an assistant. Well, when I first started, it was just me. I. I did everything. I called the stores. I assembled everything. I did all the shipping. I, I have these really large cutting tables. Um, and I, I, at first I bought like an industrial cutter, but it turned out to be too, I couldn't use it. It was too, the pieces were too small for the, for the industrial cutter, like what you would use for clothing production. So everything is done with a sort of a giant roller cutter and all the rectangles that go within the kits are roller cut. Um, anyhow, I did eventually get an assistant who helped me for many years. Um, she moved on and I have been. um, well, she's not that new anymore. She's been with me for several years, but, um, this Laura O'Neill, um, who is a, also a good friend of mine now, but, but, uh, works with me. I, I, I say assistant, but I have to say she is, she is a production manager. She's not really an assistant. So she does all of the packing and all of the shipping now and I focus on design and you know all the other all the other hats that I wear to make the business run you know patreon um, and and the book writing she, having her take over the shipping portion of it has allowed me to explore these other places these other things.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely that that's hugely. Um... Hugely important to have some help with all of that because shipping can take over your entire yeah. life. And how many retailers are you in about right now? It
1: you know it varies. It's always kind of you know ebbing and flowing. Um, it, I probably am in a hundred different retailers. You know, at every given t- at you know any given time, but um, but it but again. I don't, I don't really want it. I don't want that portion of the business to get much larger than it is, you know, because I, I really only, I have Laura and, and myself, and I actually have one, I have a, a good friend, who is doing some so wholesale acquisition for me now too, which is wonderful. Um, her name's Lenore Welby and she's fantastic. We worked together at Martha and she actually was the person responsible for getting me that first book deal. Um, which it's, it's funny how everything kind of comes around again, but
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you don't want there to be too much more wholesale cuz it would get beyond. But I think people can kind of get a sense. And do you ha- do you know how many total kit designs you have in the inventory like how many SKUs?
1: Um you know off the top of my head, I cannot recall. Um there are some that I'm I'll be discontinuing so I can make space for other things, but it tends to be
0: around 24. Okay. So just to give people a little bit of a sense. So, all right. So in the in-between time between book one and book two, you grew this kit business to be in a hundred retailers, give or take, with 24 give or take uh, kits on sale. You've got um, a hearty Instagram following and all of these things. And so when we think about book two, and, and it sounds like you had multiple offers or interests over the years, But book two really focuses on wind in the willows. And so were you a huge fan of that book, you know, wind in the willows, or how did you start to think about that being the focal point?
1: Um, Well, it was interesting, you know, because I, as this book idea was, was beginning to develop, I, I started to create animals that I thought would go in it. And I had and I created a and I was looking to children's books, historic children's books as inspiration. And and Wind in the Willows was one of those books. Um, I had created a badger and a mole um before I decided to do the Wind in the Willows. Uh, but what happened was the two publishers that had contacted me, I felt like they weren't quite the right match for me. And so I reached out to David and Charles um, because I felt like they were an indie craft publisher and they, they had the right, they had exactly what I needed, you know, the, the right chemistry for what I was doing. And, and so that was really exciting. Um, they wrote back to me right away and proposed Wind in the Willows to blend with the proposal that I had given them because it had come into it had come into public domain and no one had done anything with it. And I realized that I had really connected with the right people, you know, because they had this creative idea. they were like, I love your stuff. Let's make a book that's really going to sell. Let's make a book that that could be bigger than, you know, your name alone. And so they overlaid that onto my proposal. And, and I felt like it was perfect. Um, because it's such a, it's such a beautiful story. Um, I mean, there are some crazy parts in it, you know, but Kenneth Graham was such a naturalist and they're just gorgeous, slow passages of the seasons changing and the friendship between Mole and Ratty and Badger is wonderful. Toad's kind of a wild card. Um, but, um, but it felt like it felt like the right choice. And, uh, and it's been a real pleasure to just dig into that old, that text and, and revisit it again.
0: So it sounds like you had written a proposal that was more generalist, like let's do these animals. And it didn't have wind in the willows as the overlay. It didn't, but it
1: did have stories, um, as the, as part of it. So what I wanted to do at the time was you know, do a collection of animals and have each image have, have sort of like a mini excerpt, you know, so that the story all kind of flowed together. All the animals were friends. They sort of lived in the same woodland area and, you know, and there wasn't one story that started, it had to start to finish, but it was more like these kind of like loose, loose, loosely connected snippets of the lives of the animals. And so that, kind of naturally played into um, Wind in the, you know, being able to use it like Wind in the Willows and having quotations from the book and that kind of thing. So um, so it definitely, inf- my, my proposal informed the idea, but um, but Wind in the Willows was the final choice for the story.
0: Right. And so I think that there's a lot to be said there because you had to let go of that original idea in order to allow for this new one that was being recommended by the publisher um, you know, to, to build the book around this public domain story. That's such a classic. Um, and, and what they were saying to you is let's create a book that's really going to sell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, she, I was, I was calling completely cold calling and, but you know, she saw the work that I was doing. She saw my kits and the animals that I was creating. And she was like, this, this can work, but, it needs, you know, it needs, I think having the history of that book behind it is, has been such a gift, you know? Um, I mean, I love the work that I do. I love the animals that I create and I certainly have a following, but, um, but this book has a hundred (laughs) years of a following. Right. (laughs) And, And
0: that's what you get sometimes when you collaborate with a publisher is you get a third party who looks at your proposal and at your current body of work, and then also understands the market and how books sell and mm-hmm. um and is able to sort of s- combine those things and come back with a different twist maybe and it's you know not everybody at that moment is going to be open to it um but sometimes it's exactly the right thing and and when you're talking about your acquisitions editor at David and Charles just some background there right that that's Amy Verso is that right Yes 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 and Amy been. Amy's Earlier. been on yeah she's been on this podcast before so folks can go oh, back my. and listen and that at that time you know David and Charles had been acquired by F and W and was kind of this like you know obviously F and W went bankrupt and mm-hmm. and Amy and a crew uh, sort of took that piece of it back um and there's right. there, there are some surviving pieces long thread media uh, is is another survivor um and and so kind of was able to as you said become a leading indie publisher all on its own again
1: yes yes she is so creative i mean i really uh, I, I don't know working working with the team at david and charles has been just astounding i mean i really like every single person that i've worked with there has been wonderful, incredibly creative, and it's just every every part of the process has been such a huge pleasure. And um and I really I'm I feel so lucky that I was right, you know, like I I knew their books, I I knew the work that they did and I I felt like it was the right match and um and it's been incredible.
0: And this book is so beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful to hold. Um, and it's, it's just like, it's so like inspiring. There's kind of a cover page for each animal and they're set in the scene so it's not just like the animal but there's also like badger is here and he's in his doorway with a little tiny candle and a little (laughs) tiny sign and snow all around and he's wearing a robe and a little sleeping cap I mean it's like really really completely imagined so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about all these scenes where you know they're inside Uh, and have little tiny details all around them. Um, It's just really remarkable.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Well, you know, um, I have a real I love children's books, and I love children's books, children's book illustration. And I've always dreamed of illustrating a children's book with my little three dimensional creations. But you know, I haven't really had the opportunity. And this was such a wonderful melding of those two things you know the the thing that 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 I'm best at right so like creating these little animals and 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 so it was this combination of bringing this old story to life in a new way and creating creatures that people could make and bring that story to life and and so i had this i just i wanted the book to be really magical and so when you when you picked it up you just whether you were, were somebody who made things or not, like it was just, I wanted it to be irresistible. And, and I, I feel so lucky that I had such a great team that helped me make that happen. Um, I also, the sets were, came together kind of towards the, I don't know, the middle of the process. I, I really wanted to make these sets and I had started making them myself. And, uh, but then I realized there was just no way I was not going to have time to, to make them. And I had, I had, I have an incredible friend, Pete Mars, uh, who stepped in and he asked me several times, how can I help? How can I help? And, and I was like, do you want to make the sets for me? (laughs) And he was, um, he was another friend that I worked with at Martha Stewart and just incredibly creative. He actually has a background in interior design and, um, and he took on the set project with the craziest gusto. It was amazing. He was sending me texts. He's like, here are like 15 different floor tech, you know, floor patterns that we could use. And here's like 15 different colors that we could paint this or that. And you know, it was like, it was be, it was like being back at Martha again, you know, um, and he, anyway, so he made all these sets happen. Uh, and it 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 just, and I think, I feel like his work is a huge part you know is is one of the major puzzle pieces that that makes the book as magical as it is
0: And it truly is wow that's really cool I did not know that piece of the story but it's so neat to collaborate that way with somebody else who's so incredibly creative and brings this work to life in a whole different way and so you know you've been doing and you talked about with the first book that the expectation or really the the, the best thing to do as an author when your book is about to come out is to do all sorts of interesting things with the content. And you didn't really have that opportunity with the first book for a variety of reasons that we spoke about. But you have been doing that with this book, doing beautiful, creative book plates and Instagram reels and all sorts of things that uh, even coming on this podcast, for example, (laughs) that have helped to explain and show and demonstrate the beauty of this book to the public. So talk a little bit about that, because sometimes I think that authors think, well, the publisher is going to take care of that. But in today's market, that is not the case. And it really is a collaboration, if not more so on the author's plate.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the publisher's been great. And I've been working with their, um, their PR team. And but a huge part of it does fall onto the author, you know, and, and, and this is definitely an area that I, you know, is not my strength. And, and I, and I see what a lot of other people have been doing, do, and it, and I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. So this has been a, definitely a learning curve for me, um, to do, to do the PR piece of this, but I'm, I'm getting out there and doing it, you know, I'm just, I wear so many hats, but, um, but it's fun, you know, I mean, putting it out there and getting involved and, and seeing people's response to the book has been a real gift. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm getting there. I always feel a little like I'm reinventing the wheel every time I don't have a, you know, I don't, I don't have this template that I work with. And I always feel like my Instagram feed you know, isn't really curated. You know, I see people curate their Instagram feeds like a magazine and they're they're so beautiful. And I just can't, I don't have it, (laughs) you know, but I am learning how to create reels and I'm having a blast with it. And, and I'm doing lots of giveaways, which are tons of fun. I love, I love giving things away. And this has given me a really fun opportunity to do that. Um, yeah. So the, the, I mean, it does, I, am I'm, I'm learning every day and, and taking baby steps through this process, but it's, uh, it's, I'll be, I'll be more adept on my next book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so you emailed me the other day to say that you had some good news to share about distribution, that this book was going to be in a major retailer that we've all heard of.
1: Yes, yes. Actually, it's really exciting. I mean, I must not be doing everything wrong, um, but yes, um, I I was contacted by anthropology, and the I'll, they'll have a couple of my kits on their website this season. And as far as I know, they have purchased the book for the for the stores. I think I'm not 100 percent sure. It might all be online, but um, but that's really exciting. And what's been fun is to watch what's happening on Amazon. Um, I you know they update where things are every, I think hourly, but I've been number one in sewing. I've been number one in doll crafts. I've been number one. i you know, the book has been f- fluctuating between number one on all these different levels, which is, I mean, I'm just kind of blown away, you know, that, that, um, that it's doing so well. And I'm just, I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, to be able to get into anthropology is really interesting Thing because the way that anthropology is merchandised, right, is that there's clothes and there's books, if you notice, there's books and other things like that mixed in on the shelves, you know, there's not like a book section of anthropology, oh. but it's like, there's like, you know, it's so beautifully arranged in there that that's part of the pleasure of shopping in anthropology. And, um, and there may be, you know, a craft book that's just sort of mixed in with pants or something on a table. Um, and you, you know, but this book fits that so well, just because of these, it is almost like an illustrated tale on top of being DIY.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Yes. So I can see why they would have picked that up. And and so, yeah, very different book experience. And I think it's so interesting yeah. for people to think through, like, it's not that one is good and one is bad, but they're very different. And there's a yeah. lot of different ways to work. And a book can mm-hmm. play a different role in your creative business and your creative life at different times.
1: Yeah. And this one feels... It, it just my heart is a hundred percent there, you know it, it it feels truly like what every step of the way it was what I wanted to do. and um and and I, i'm just i'm so i'm so I'm so proud of it and I'm so happy to see what everybody creates and
0: yeah, yeah. and when you collaborate with the with the right publisher, that is how you should feel um yeah. and I know so many people who've you know the publisher named the book something they didn't want the book to be named or the photography style didn't match you know their aesthetic or whatever yeah. it might be and and sometimes you lose control um but really a craft book at this point in time given the market and things you know it really should be a collaboration that allows both parties to come away feeling happy and proud and ready to promote it to the fullest extent, you know that they possibly can, and that's what happened here. But keeping in mind that you did have to change your vision, you know this wasn't your initial idea. But then once nope. the idea came to you, you went full force into it and are so proud of it. So, yeah. um, so you know both sides have to kind of give and take, and I'm sure there's been hundreds of other small give and takes throughout this whole process. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It has. Um, it it was interesting. The well the photography was interesting. I mean, at first, you know, they, they typically do all their, their own, you know, people send them the, 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 the physical product, you know, the physical animals or whatever, they, whatever they're shooting for the book. And, um, and they do all the photography, but, but this was, they agreed to let, it be a combination of of me and um and Karen Phillippe who photog- uh, photographed my first book. And so she helped me with um a few images in the book, but but most of it she did the cover image and um and and she she did the uh the one of badger in his front door and she also did the um the one of um, towed with his race car. Um, but, uh, but all the other images I was able to take myself and, and I, and I felt very lucky. Um, and they definitely let go of those reins for me. Um, so that was really exciting, too. right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We, all of these little adjustments. There's so much that goes into making something like this. So, so congratulations to you. Everybody should pick it up. It's called "The Wind in the Willows." Felt friends. It's released this month, so you should be able to find it or pre-order at least um, on Amazon or Bookshop.org or wherever you get books locally. Um, and I did want to make sure we talked about your Patreon community because Patreon um, is a you know a, a topic that comes. Up frequently. We've had Zach Foster on the show and he has a Patreon community. He spoke about it as well. And so what made you decide to use Patreon as a way to support your artistic endeavors and kind of what do you do with this community?
1: Oh, thank you for asking that. Yeah. Patreon's amazing. You know, I, I learned about it when it first started and I wasn't really at the right point to to open a page. But, um, but I did it about two years ago now and I, you know, by doing, by creating that, that platform for people who really love the work that I'm creating, I can make a monthly project for them. And then they, their support, these small amounts, small donations really help support me. And they've been a huge part of what, what, you know, of the support that got me through this book. Um, so collectively, uh, they they help to balance my my income in months that are really slow. So, you know, in the summer, when everyone's at the beach, <laughs> you know, the Patreon group is still there and still a support. And um, and I get to connect with them in a, in a really personal way, you know, much more than somebody who's buying my kit from a retailer. It's like, it's sort of my inner circle. And, um, and I really get to know the people in the group who want to be involved. Some people are you know quiet and kind of in the background and they make their projects and they support me and other people are really stay connected with me and share lots of photos of what they're doing. And anyway, I'm just, I love the platform and I love my, my fantastic group of, of friends there. And, um, and I'm hoping to grow that a lot more so I can start to do events for the larger events for the group. Um, but I'm still at the beginning now, you know, I've got, I've got about 250 or 60 people. Um, but as that grows, I'll be able to do a lot more for the group. So.
0: Yeah, I love that it's like your super fans or your inner circle. It's a good way to think about it. So, yeah. um, so folks should go check that out as well. Um, and maybe get inspired to start their own Patreon. Um, you know, looking at the way that you've structured it. So, um, so that's super interesting. And I want to make sure we talk about your, recommendations because you've got some really good ones so the first one is a youtuber her first name is Sharon is her last name Ojala I hope I'm saying that correctly you know uh I think it's I'm not you know what okay I, I (laughs) I don't know how it's said but um we will definitely link to it in the show notes for this episode and she builds miniature doll houses that look like trees I have got to go see this
1: she has so many videos on her process and her process is what I used, uh, learning her process was how we created the sets. So, um, so if anybody wants to make them, they are so much fun to make. Her process is really welcoming. It's like cardboard and tinfoil and hot glue and you know, and and paper towels. And, you know, I mean, you can do, you can make these sets from your recycling bin, and and it's really liberating. Uh, Pete and I just had so much fun with the process.
0: Wow, that is so cool. I'm totally, That totally appeals to me. I love making something from nothing. I love oh. miniatures. I love dolls. So I'm t- totally going to go bookmark this and subscribe to her channel. <laughs> um, that yeah. is super cool. And. Um, And then you also wanted to recommend like patterning on felt. And I found this to be fascinating about this book is that in my mind, if you're going to make a felt project, all the details have to be embroidered, right? Like you have to use thread because it's fiber or something. (laughs) And you've like break broken out of that completely here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, You know, uh, I was getting to this point where people were asking, can you make it a giraffe or you can make it, you know, and, and the idea of embroidering or appliquing every spot on a giraffe's body just seemed so intense. And so I was, I mean, um, that'll, that's coming up actually in my Patreon, but, um, I was trying to figure out how can I, how can I create more interesting faces than I can do with just stitching and, And I just, I started experimenting. I think that's the fun thing for me about making and creating is like, well, what if I do this? What if I do that? You know, and, and. And I just—I never worry about something being a mistake. I just dive in, you know. And it's like try it, and and I started playing around with these paint pens and permanent, you know, micron pens. And um, and most recently, which is not in the book yet, but um, is worth trying if you have some around. I started playing around with these uh, Derwent Ink Tense watercolor pencils, and these are really cool because they're—they dry permanent. And because you're adding water to it, they go on really smoothly. It anyway, it's just a super. They're a super fun new thing, and I'll definitely be playing around with these in some more of my Patreon projects. Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: that's super cool. I've never heard of those watercolor pencils. That's a very cool tool to try, and I love the just overall attitude of like, give it a go. Let's see what happens. Because I'm sure there's been lots of things that you tried, and we're like, oh, that doesn't really work. <laughs> Out.
1: Well, you know, but I think that well, what people call failing, you know, I mean I think that mistakes are they're the they're the seeds of innovation, you know? I mean, like you're like, oh that works, this that works, this doesn't, that works, this doesn't, you know. I mean what's the harm? You know, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna throw away a head, you know, that I made? Okay, you
0: <laughs> know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then through that, you discover really brilliant things. So um, that's a great mindset. And then you wanted to recommend a type of pin and a type of needle. So these are called little house pins. I've never heard of these. And then tulip needles, which I also love tulip needles. So.
1: <laughs> yes, they, um, oh the little house pins are so great. They come in this like ingenious little glass jar. So they're very fine short pins which are the, just the right size for tiny projects like mine and um they're very they're super smooth super sharp they have this gorgeous little cherry red head on them and they come in this wonderful jar that you can tip it over and like one pin falls out so it's like you know for years I, it's like you, you know everybody who sews has knocked over their pin container before and then you're like down on the floor anyway you know the story but these things are fantastic. Um, and they're just, they're really well-made Japanese pins. And then the needles, um, as you know, are just the most luxurious hand sewing needles that I've ever used. Um, they're, they're made in Japan and they have these like lengthwise microscopic striations on them (laughs) that make them glide through whatever you're sewing with like zero resistance they're so lovely and they have eyes that are somehow bigger than any other eye on a needle that is like within the shaft width we're really geeking out here um (laughs) and so they're much easier to thread and for people who have a hard time threading needles you can stitch with a larger needle and still have a really great experience and so i'm just like i'm a complete convert to these pins
0: yeah Uh, excuse me needles and, and pins right exactly and and you think oh what's the difference and then yeah. you see and you're like oh you know what good <laughs> tools do make all the difference yeah they totally totally do yeah well Cynthia thank you so much for taking the time to be on the craft industry alliance podcast I really enjoyed talking to you <laughs> Thank you so much. Me too. Uh, look forward to our next our next talk. Absolutely. And you've been <laughs> listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Craftsy. Whether you are new to making or looking to advance skills in a favorite hobby, Craftsy is the place to learn. With over 1,500 classes, there's something for everyone from knitting and sewing, to To baking and cooking, gardening, embroidery, quilting, and more. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a full year of Craftsy Premium Membership for just $3. That's 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Thank you so much Craftsy. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals.